0: An expert in human behavior and body language, author of three fantastic books uh, Winning Body Language, Winning Body Language for Sales Professionals, Winning Body Language for Tilt-A-World Operators. <laughs> oh, no, no that, that's not correct, right?
1: It was, no, that's a good idea, though. That, that is your, I'll, that is I'll write your next one. book. i get writing on that one.
0: It yeah. was uh, Taming the Primitive Brain. Yeah, uh, I think all of this adds up to you're someone who's managed to truly understand all the strange things that we do with our hands but not for the purposes of picking up women <laughs>
1: yeah exactly well there's <laughs> lots of stuff out there on on the whole kind of dating scene and uh, it's
0: actually do, do you feel um, a little bit sick at how they've weaponized uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, weaponized body, <laughs> body language. language for lonely strange men well I think it, I think it was always going to happen I think you know everybody's been thinking about it at some point in their in their life <laughs> but yeah I mean and, and some of it you know to give it its due, is, is relatively accurate and interesting and potentially helpful and, and not too weaponized. <laughs> some of it though though is. I mean look the reality is is we all you know at some point in our life try to show our best and we all manipulate right. and we all influence and persuade. It's just some of us do it by accident and some of us do it on purpose. And and you know, if anything, if if these books could help people understand, look, we know you're trying to do this on purpose. Yes, and that that's, that's 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 at least mindful.
0: Yes, and I and I've always wanted that. I mean, we've sort of gradually started to codify a lot of the, you know, the semantics of how we communicate, to right. understand the mechanisms and the levers and the triggers, but a lot of people, I guess, originally just sort of evolved these. Um, successful practices themselves.
1: Well, they, yeah, they're absolutely evolved. I mean, if you take a, a, a viewpoint on you know evolutionary behavioral psychology, right. essentially you're going to go these have evolved. Right. And I certainly take that viewpoint. I don't. It's a think, kind of
0: mimetic behavior. Right?
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it's not come out of thin air. It's been inherited via DNA it's been imposed by the environment or I learnt it from other people or you know some of my behaviours or some of our behaviours we may have made up ourselves but that's that's pretty hard to do. Usually they're, they're an adaptation of something that's come before. And that
0: we've watched and we've seen our parents do or they sort of mirror neurons, you know. That,
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I could go away from this interview and I'm sure I'm doing it now. I'm sure I'm mirroring mirroring you. I'm sure you're mirroring me. I'm sure there's there's way more similarity between us right now than when we first met, you know, 20 minutes ago. And, this,
0: and all of this, unfortunately, the listeners of this podcast are missing out the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the kind of amazing theatre of hand gestures that is accompanying the dialogue. But, you know, what is the sort of the, I guess, the machinery that drives all of this? I mean, you know, you talk about behavioral psychology um, right. so what is the part of the brain that that is sort of the
1: processing unit you know for understanding people's body language so so actually you know if, if I was to look at what's driving this first of all before we look at what's kind of processing the reading of it what's driving it and is really important is the environment right you know you're behaving like you're behaving now I would say because of the environment that you're in yeah you've got this brain but regardless of the brain that you have, parts of it which are very similar to mine, you've got your 500 million year old primitive brain or brain stem as many people call it, or reptilian brain, some people call it. Our brainstems are really incredibly similar structurally and this is
0: not just because we went through the english school no exactly yeah because that certainly has had some disastrous (laughs) effects on our brain
1: well uh, there's a part (laughs) of our brain so our limbic system our social mammalian brain that will have some similarities because both of us went through the same schooling system yeah so uh so i know because we chatted earlier both of us were around the the kind of choir school area And so that's um that's
0: such rich ter- territory for our psychoanalysts to explore, I, which we will I'm not sure include on this podcast. If
1: I jumped into <laughs> Jiju Joy of Man's Desiring, you'd you'd be able to join in at the drop of a hat. So, in fact, probably the part the parts are kind of that's, running that's, through your head. Let's just, just not go
0: there. As, as,
1: so there so there are there's limbic resonance right. there, but below that, and that part of the brain is maybe uh, five million years old. But there's this five hundred million year old part, which is that part is the same as mine is the same as anybody else on the planet is this the amygdala so you could you could put the amygdala as part of it some people do some people don't i tend to try and not get that specific because we're trying to split the brain here into three different parts the brain stem the social mammalian brain and the neocortex the new brain which That's is sort of like, like- has the big lump of gray matter that gets you know does the smart stuff and of course the brain isn't in three parts it's all one brain hmm. and so what tends to happen is when people go well you know where is the amygdala is it in the neocortex or is it in the, or is it in the in the social mammalian brain or is it in the brain stem it's kind of well depends how you want to divide it up but many people do put the amygdala in that brain stem area because of the fear that that is one of the things that we we feel that it Is part of, but uh, the environment around us drives all of those parts of the the brain to some extent. But certainly the uh, the brainstem is constantly responding, feeding off that environment, and uh, making assumptions, making having instincts, having gut reactions. And they're very
0: they're very rooted in survival, presumably. Like when we first stepped out
1: into the savannah Absolutely. We needed a kind of an operating system to
0: (laughs) you know to process the environment.
1: Right. So so it, it it really does understand how to survive. The brainstem knows how to keep you alive for the very least cost. And that's really important. It's not trying to give you a great life. Right. It's not trying to it's trying to spend as little energy as it can to only just keep you alive. So it's looking no, for shortcuts. Yeah, heuristics. Shortcuts. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the heuristics uh, would fit in very, very well with that brain stem. You know, if this, then that. Well, it, it, it doesn't even do that. It, it isn't an if this, then that machine. It, it's actually, well, if a little bit like this, then absolutely that, like as big as you So so if you, if there's a trigger that you send me which is even a little bit like a predator, a little bit, the brainstem goes, yeah, is totally predator, is totally predator, is total risk. So, so it'll actually fill in the blanks. It will fill in the blanks. What it'll do is it gets this assumption, and then it sends a message up to the smarter parts of the brain, the neocortex, and it'll go, go and get me all the data that proves the assumption. Not disproves it or anything else in between. It's it's now infer a confirmation bias. And what happens is is if the neocortex can't come back with any data, the neocortex is a very expensive part of the brain. It's, It's using about 40 watts of power, to get it going. It's very new, it's like a very new expensive employee.
0: And I actually read that it was only when we started to learn to cook food that we actually have enough energy to start using that part of the brain.
1: Right. Because otherwise
0: you spend all your energy chewing.
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great theories out there that say it's only until we've worked out that we can scare large predators away from something they've already killed and eaten some of using rocks, throwing them at the large predators as a group, and then head over there and smash the bones open and get the marrow out of them because that's all that's left. It's only at that point that we're getting enough nutrition to be able to have the energy for for a neocortex. Right. And then from that language develops and we're able to build bigger societies and bigger groups. Uh, but essentially that part of the brain is being co-opted by our instincts to fill in the blanks. But hmm. fill in the blanks to a bias, not not to what it the the data it could actually get so we so we tend to go it tends to go go and get me all the data that fits the assumption and if you can't find any it'll just make it up so we make <clears> up <throat> narratives we make up stories based on data that actually just isn't there
0: right um, when we encounter somebody I've heard you speak about this before we tend to classify them into one of several categories
1: right right so I would say there are four categories there's friend This person is going to serve me. Uh, I'll get out more than I put in, so there's benefit. There is predator, enemy. This person will uh, take from me more than I put in, so risk. Uh, potential sexual partner, so I could carry on my genetic code with this person. <laughs> Not that I'm going to hang around forever and look after that genetic code. It's just like, it's the, it's the selfish gene just going, I think this person's got good genes. Um, I can tell that because look at the skin tone, look at the hair, you know, good nutritional source around them, good genes, low disease. Child stands a good chance of, of surviving. All, all of this, just from good hair. All, all of this, actually, a, a huge amount of it about hair.
0: It is terrifying enough. that both of us are we, we've strange long hair, long hair, long haired
1: men. Now, now, now I know <laughs> we, why. We've maybe noticed something works about uh, something works about that. And um, and the last category is indifference. So if if you don't trigger friend or enemy or sexual partner with somebody they are just indifferent to you. Right. And there's seven billion people on the planet. So that's the default. I passed today, passed. Um, so I came through Toronto, through the city. I'm going to suggest that I passed about a thousand people. I'll just minimize it. A thousand people. I don't remember any of them. But why Why is it that we are programmed to default to not paying attention? Because I would have <laughs> thought
0: that, you know, that, that is a survival instinct. We would be hyper aware of every other you know, okay. on the planet. so
1: let's just let's just do some I, I can't even do the calculations on this, but you probably can you'll probably got a good idea of, of what kind of data it would data capacity you'd need but I've passed by a thousand people hmm. yeah and I don't remember any of them. How much data capacity would I need in order to remember those thousand I mean I've already judged they don't mean anything to me right yeah but i'm gonna hold the data just in case and the data from everybody from yesterday and the day before and the day before that well aren't I just going to run so, out of brain so, so, so,
0: so, that's to, to, why to be efficient <laughs> the brain is effectively just looking for the smallest trigger that we should pay attention
1: absolutely it's just it's just uh, the body and brain are brilliantly efficient mm. if you want to salute you know biology for anything it's efficiency it's super efficient so basically it's gone look after 500 million years of passing down this dna if if you see if you see stimulus a b or c pay attention if not a b or c forget about it they're never going to come into your life again they'll make no difference if they do now we know there's exceptions to the rule hmm. but there haven't been enough exceptions that it's been passed on in the DNA or oh, by the way, exception to the rule, it's not, it's, it's made no difference.
0: So, so what are some of the sort of the key triggers that wake the brain up uh, to pay attention and, 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 and to put somebody into a category?
1: Yeah, so, so um, key, key triggers for friend uh, would, would be things like smile, yeah. yeah, Duchenne smile, which is where just as you're doing right now and I'm doing right now, we're getting these little wrinkles at the sides of our eyes. And you'll notice that if I don't give those wrinkles, but I just turn the sides of my mouth up.
0: You look like Dexter.
1: Yeah, it, <laughs> well, you instantly get triggered with, okay, that's dangerous because it's insufficient data. And one of the heuristics is when insufficient data default to a negative. Right. So never give the person the benefit of the doubt. So if I give you that signal again, yeah, I can see your chin went back slightly. Your head went back slightly. <laughs> went, Hang on. I don't like him anymore. Find out we we're, we're sitting in what I would call um, we're we're in personal space right now. We're within 6 6 feet of each other, but we've had some time to kind of get used to each other. But if I do that half smile for you and then come in in closer to you. <laughs> I'm
0: fighting all of my resistance just to actually right. just smash you over the head right, with exactly. my camera. So you could
1: so you can feel that Gut instinct yeah. about me, and that's five hundred million years of data, you know, passed down from other um, organisms, not not human beings, but but our evolutionary chain, that says, if you don't see the full signal, make up a terrible story about the about the object, about the thing.
0: But, you know, I, I think about the Mona Lisa, mm. you know, which is a classic partial signal, right? And, and I think, in a weird way, that sets off a kind of a fascination loop in our brain
1: absolutely yeah so that Mona Lisa smile it's not necessarily negative but it's kind of no it's not necessarily negative it's somewhere in between is she going to laugh or is she going to cry yeah so it it sets up that thing of I'll I'll wait around and see what happens it's visual clickbait right exactly (laughs) (laughs) very much so now of course there's some safety with the Mona Lisa in that our brain is able to know okay that's a two dimensional picture right if you had somebody show up close to you with that mona lisa face and hang out next to you i guarantee you would <laughs> you wouldn't be so fascinated you'd be going that's a very weird woman i, I should really find somebody else to talk to right now
0: <laughs> no i think i think you're right and and you know i uh, what about on the negative side i mean what are some of the classic predator moves that we would tend to you know, interpret immediately as a warning
1: sign. Oh well, so a, a really great one is just is just fast movement in towards you from the peripheral of your vision. It's just <laughs> that would do it. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine <laughs> like any anything. Anything. So, so if, I just, if I just kind of sit a little bit more beside you right now, and I'm going to come back from you slightly, <laughs> so it's kind of harder for you to look. And if I start moving my hand in your peripheral of your vision now, you know, just behind your ear. That, that is deeply uncomfortable. Deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, it's <laughs> deeply uncomfortable. Because, again, 500 million years of data that says, if it's coming in fast from behind all the peripheral, let's just make it a predator and start the whole fight or flight procedure better to be safe than sorry so even so even though you know based on the time that we've been together that I'm not going to harm you the moment I put my hand (laughs) around just behind your ear and I'm, I'm a good two feet away from it but it's out in your peripheral vision your your brainstem starts to get excited going hang on hang on better be safe than sorry you know, and if I tell you, hey, it's okay, you're doesn't okay matter. with me, you can trust me, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. my, my hand is in a place now where you're at, at a disadvantage and better to be safe than sorry and
0: i've actually immediately started crossing you started
1: crossing crossing your arms over protecting and placing all my vulnerable areas yes yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so protecting those vulnerable points the the belly area yeah. you sat closer into the and, table and i've
0: you know i've got my hand near the nine millimeter that i had strapped <laughs> exactly. under the
1: table well it's interesting you put your you've put your hands closer to resources so your 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 cup of coffee your watch the things that you own hmm. you've got closer to <laughs> just cuz like if I have to run
0: do you find that normal that when you step into an elevator people sort of grab their handbag a bit closer to you like does that happen to you a lot
1: Well elevators are, are strange because elevators actually um cause us to do some of the behaviors that we wouldn't normally do Right so with we, forced... It's a very awkward shared space isn't it It's an awkward shared space but but um you would never be able to get so close to people anywhere else and it be actually that level of awkward it would be so much more awkward if you were I mean, we could try it later on you know when we go back uh when we go back into the hotel foyer let's try standing as close to people as we've been standing to them in the elevator but let's do it on the street Let's see.
0: It is actually what they do. You know, with your perverse desire for social experiments, it's actually amazing you've made it
1: this, this far. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I have got close to a to a number of a number of very bad fights in my time.
0: You know, to to me all of this greater understanding we have in the sort of five hundred million year old code that's running in our brains, yeah. it's particularly relevant now, now that we're trying to train artificial intelligences and computers to understand and predict our behavior. Right. And I think, you know, the, the big advance on this is that we used to try and program computers to do specific things for, under specific triggers. Right. But now we're just giving them all the data and allowing them to learn. So I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm sort of fascinated that if you were going to teach a computer um, to be more empathetic and to read human behavior. Yeah. Where would you start? Like, like what would be your, your approach?
1: So my approach would be Obviously, I've, I've got to have the same senses. I've got to be able to see. I've got to be able to, to hear. I mean, if I want to maximize, I want to be able to see. I want to be able to hear. I want to be able to touch, taste, smell. I want to know what's up and down. Right. Uh, so, I, so I need those senses because, you know, under, under my theories and many other people's theories, we're a result of the environment. So if I can't take in data from the environment, I'm done for. Yeah, it's now, just we, an abstraction,
0: right? I mean, right, absolutely. You need to have a concept of peripheral vision. Absolutely, yeah. Peripheral vision.
1: So, so we, we totally know that there are human beings on the planet that get away with, with much less data really brilliantly than, than we, we do right now. You know, we're fully sighted. We can hear everything at the moment. We're doing great. So it's not that we can't limit those things, but let's just say we can have everything. I want to have this, you know, the same sense system as a human being, first of all. Then I'm going to need a really simple way of just cutting that right down to less data. So I need some ways of of not going if this, then that. But if a little bit like X, then execute Y.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So for that, we're going to need some kind of algorithm that can... Do some pretty extreme things based on very little input.
0: I think part of it is, I mean, I know they're trying to teach computers to recognise emotions. Right. But is someone smiling or are they scared? And, and And the way they've been doing that is not to say there is a smile, but to show thousands or millions of pictures of people smiling.
1: So here's where that... And get the computer to try and figure that out. Yeah, so here's where that might be going wrong, I think, is we as human beings... Whether you're smiling or you're scared, it, sometimes it, I do. I shouldn't care. Hmm. Like if I'm walking along the street, and I see you smile, but you're not in my group, my tribe, my gang, my, you're not part of my social it's society. It's still a, irrelevant It's irrelevant, right. whether you're scared or whether you're smiling, so I, I probably won't notice. So trying to get a machine to notice every smile and every look of fear, that's already gone down for me the wrong route. First of all, I've got to go. Should I care about you? Right. What? So, so, so. First of all, we need some kind of algorithm that you need, says you need who's a,
0: important. Well, you need a, a hey Siri, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right for emotional recognition.
1: Right. Well, first of all, I need. I need. Why would Why would I want to emotionally recognize you? Hmm. Why are you important to me? And until I've worked out why you're important to me. Then, so now we're doing emotional uh, 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 um, recognition, okay? I think how human beings do it. So I've already decided with another algorithm, you are important to me. And I see a signal from you, and I can't work out whether it's smile or fear. Because are you really going to show fear in the environment anyway? Fear is a very subtle emotion, which you might try and hide behind a smile anyway. But I've decided I care about you. So actually what I'm going to do is make it fear, whether it's fear or not. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, you're okay. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Which is actually saying you're not okay and I've noticed.
1: Well, it's saying I've got a theory that you might be smiling, which means you're okay, or you might be in fear, which means you're not okay. But I don't know which one it is. But because I care about you, because I've already worked out you're important in my life, I'm going to bias towards you're not okay. Because if I can make you okay, then it's better for me.
0: But, you know, thinking about that, I'm just wondering, like, that we consider that appropriate from certain people and not others. Right. And I'm thinking that if you were typing on your computer and you're making mistakes and you're acting erratically and suddenly your computer said, are you okay? Ah. It would be deeply unnerving unless we were prepared to have that kind of emotional engagement. Yeah, well,
1: so, so my, my question would be, why wouldn't
0: we? Maybe we would. Maybe it'd be like her, right? Maybe you'd actually end up falling in love with Alexa.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't, isn't that where a lot of, um, I guess, fiction around um, emotional intelligence from machines has taken us into this idea of oh look you fell in love with the machine yeah why because the machine actually cared about you yeah and actually you want to be cared for and does it really matter if it's a human being or machine all you're looking for is I mean you know to get it to its base level is something cares about me therefore my chances of survival just went up I'm now more positive. I'm now more confident. Does it actually matter whether it was a machine or a human being? Well, uh, that's, that's probably not a question that I'm into. I mean, I could probably come up with an answer. No. But, uh, but, but it's probably not a question to It only, it to only
0: matters, that. I think, if you're thinking about the future of jobs because there are some right. people who say in this age of automation and artificial intelligence, the computers will do all the transactional job when it comes to human interaction. Humans are best at that. Except
1: I'm not sure. Well, about some of the managers that I've had in my life I don't know whether you're right. Well, I think they were very bad at human interactions. And
0: they may not even have been human in the strict sense. <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, they certainly... Uh, some people have acted in what seemed to be a very inhuman way. Right. And so if you say to me, hey, you know, we've got this computer which will manage you and actually will truly care about you, I'd be willing to give it a go. Why wouldn't I give that a... Why wouldn't I give it a go? So you're not a believer that empathy will be the sort of the last... Fort, but like
0: defending the line between joblessness and
1: <laughs> God, I don't know I, I don't I, I hate I hate to ever use the words kind of no and never and yeah and because the moment the, the moment you do somebody's already doing it you know and doing it brilliantly I, I'm not sure whether that's the last I, i'm not but sure you do whether. think we,
0: we will be able to teach machines to read our body language and to be able to respond appropriately?
1: i don't think we'll be able to teach machines to read our body language in terms of it it will absolutely know what you're thinking and feeling based on what your body did because we can't do that yet <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know how we teach something else to unless it could it could Learn in a way we're not able to, but we've been doing this learning with the current brain for about two hundred thousand years. So, and 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 the, the instinctual part of our brain's got five hundred million years hmm. of working on this one, and still it can't read your mind. It still only gets theory of mind. Hmm. So do I think we'll be able to teach machines or help machines learn theory of mind? Yeah, for sure.
0: What's the difference?
1: Well, one is, one is absolutely knowing. Hmm. One is... Um, in the way we know animals? In, no, in the way that we know chemicals, for example. So right. I, know, I, know, I know if I add um, uh, energy to water under certain pressure, it will turn to steam like no doubt and if you say what's that I'll go that's steam and I know my chances of being accurate are incredibly high now the face that you're making at the moment I've got some assumptions and some ideas about what it is that's going on your head but if you said to me how much money will you bet that you're right I'd go none Because I can't actually get in your head right now.
0: You'd be a terrible poker player.
1: Well, so poker, as you know... Because they are
0: literally betting on people's... They
1: are betting on... So they're trying to get closer to what the truth is of what somebody's got in their hand based on what they know about the cards, what they know about statistics. And then they're adding to all that intelligence. What do I know or what do I theorize... People do, or this particular player does, when they're optimistic, and what are they doing when they're pessimistic? So
0: poker is the ultimate sort of convergence between math theory of mind and and, right. and, and a bet on the actual mind. So, right? so
1: but the, but the thing is, is is without doing the first part of it, which is how many cards have gone onto the table, how many aces <laughs> do I have, how many. You, it's only at the last point that you'd go. And what do I think he's optimistic or do I think she's pessimistic? Right. It's it it's the it's one of the last points that I might go to. Hmm. I mean, unless I'm a total amateur, hmm. which you'd go. I I don't know whether I've got a decent hand. I don't know what hand do other people. So if, have So
0: if that's true, we have a better chance of teaching computers to be world class poker players than we have to maybe manage an unhappy employee.
1: Well, yeah, for sure, because <laughs> they could they could abs- a computer could absolutely do the math. Really well, and then just add to that a, a, an a, a, an equation around optimism and pessimism. Hmm. The equation that I would add is I would get a camera on the way that the chips are pushed in, hmm. and I'd I'd look at can we define uh, smooth and can we define jerky? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, and then I'd go if the chips got pushed in smooth then we're gonna be we're gonna say that they're more optimistic. And if it seen if there seemed a stutter in there, let's say that's pessimistic. And I'd add that as the final part of the eighth. No, that's the fascinating. Algorithm. I mean you know, we've seen
0: the battles on artificial intelligence on games like chess, then go. Right. It'd be interesting if the final well, the next stage of the battle around emotional recognition could be something like poker, right?
1: Right. I mean it's a good place to start simply because you can you can probably just look at optimism or pessimism hmm. you know confidence or uh, confident or unconfident well,
0: what what is what is you know one or a couple of quick things that you would say if you want to project greater confidence and success make people like you when you meet them what are some key things you should do
1: so easy stuff is just open body language and and people hear this a lot but let me kind of be really specific about it which is things like open palms when you're talking to other people, and open at the torso level, stomach and, and to an extent the chest area. So you're probably noticing as, as I talk to you now, I've, I'm being really specific about doing big open gestures uh, in that area. It makes a change to my voice. It makes a change to my eye contact. And now notice what happens if I close up hmm. around those areas and keep on talking to you. Uh, it feels, a uh, what you what you've started to do now is kind of, actually smile and nod at me more in a way that makes me feel like you're saying come on Mark to join you in out. you know don't close down now yeah. um, and, and then notice what happens when I get bigger and more open in my gestures you start to relax hmm. because you go oh great I don't have to put in the work now Mark's already up <laughs> and going and seems confident so those open gestures are certainly more confident in fact I would say that we engage more with those open gestures than we do in the idea of the smile.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, because I can do cl- closed body language with you and smile, and you're probably feeling it doesn't feel quite right. It's a bit, I it's, it's, turned into that weird person <laughs> yes. again. Yeah. And the moment I keep that smile and do open body language, you feel better. And I can drop the smile and give you open body language. And it can feel very relaxing. Just keep you.
0: those hands out of my peripheral vision. Keep <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. but if I get too <laughs> wide
1: yeah, and the hands go into your peripheral vision, then I'm trouble. Well, Mark, it's, it's, it's been fascinating
0: talking to you. It's great to have you on the show and great to meet you. Oh, It's been fantastic talking to you as well. Thanks very much
1: for, for having me. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com betweenworlds.